I just wanted to uh, start out here with, um, so we're continuing our, our lesson on this idea of abiding in Christ, and um, I wanted to give you kind of a, what I call a dynamic or a picture of what I was trying to portray last week, um, and then just as kind of a quick review, and then we'll get into the message. Um, I need to stay close to my tablet because it has what I was going to try to say, so you're going to have to just, I'm going to have to assume that's working back there as I stand here and do this. And you guys can just look past me. But remember, we started out with this uh, phrase, this um, saying, before you can faithfully do, you must be. The reason to do is because you are, not so that you can become. You know, Satan wants us to think that in order to be spiritual and to be accepted by God, we have to keep a certain set of rules and standards. We have to serve in a certain way in the church and perform in a certain way. And people will believe this so much to the point where they will literally work themselves to death being accepted by family, spouse, friends, boss, and the church. Unfortunately, many, time, many times these type of people have no real relationship with the Lord and they're living with self and control, and they're, be, they're being driven by that. You know, this mindset will produce feelings of guilt, insecurity, worry, fear, inferiority, inadequacy, doubt, misery, and despair, and eventually they're just going to want to quit because they're not having a relationship with the Lord. Now, bear with me because you might look at this, and some might look at this and say, okay, well, that means I can just live whatever way I want because this is what happens when you have to follow a rule and a standard. That's not what I'm trying to say here, so be careful um, because I'm not going to prove that today. But the next slide is going to be brought up, and God told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, we read that last week, we actually read 36 through 38. It says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And we know that from that it also goes on to say in verse 39 that the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you look at the Ten Commandments and you understand that the first five, or I believe it's the first five, are all having to do with your relationship with the Lord. And if you love God the way you ought to, you won't take his name in vain. You won't have any idols. You will go to church like you should. You'll do all the things that is in those first five commandments. And then if you love others, you won't commit adultery. You won't steal. You won't murder people. You see, that's the point of this message. That he wasn't saying, oh, you could just live whatever way you want and it'll be all right. But he was trying to get at the root of the issue, the the importance here is our relationship with God. And that's really the most important thing. We are to love God and to love others. We ought to be worried about who we are in Christ. And if we're loving him the way we ought to, our relationship with God is priority. And as a child of God, the truth is, as a child of God, you have been made holy by God and accepted in the beloved. When he looks at you through Jesus Christ and his blood, he sees a person who is holy and acceptable. Now, the truth is we're not. So sanctification is the process of becoming who God wants us to be 
and who God already sees us as. God has already accepted us, so you ought to live for him, as I said last week. You ought to live for him because of what God has done for you and be holy in your lifestyle. Service in a changed lifestyle is a result of Christ changing us through salvation and Christ being the center of our life. Service, in other words, is a result of our fellowship with God because of what he has done. Not so that we can be something. Acceptance is based on who we are in Christ, not what other people think of us. The type of thinking, this type of thinking, produces feelings of freedom. True freedom. What does John say about, um, and I'm just, I should have wrote this down. The one that says, if you, uh, something about you'll be free indeed. Um, oh, I can't, can't think of what it is. It's John 8. And I, truth shall set you free. There we go. The truth shall set you free. I knew it was something about setting free, and I could not think of it. But um, freedom, true freedom, liberty, joy, peace, worth. Because of who you are in Christ, you feel like you're worthy. Again, because sometimes you don't. And you'll have contentment, joy, as we sing about. And the last one, you'll begin to serve. And it all starts with that idea of not being driven by performance-based acceptance, but be driven by biblical acceptance. You know, because of the grace of God, because some would look at this thing here and go, see, now I can just... Love God and live whatever way I want. Because didn't you say that back here, I'm going to be guilty? You know, they'll, they'll twist this. But let me read a couple verses that would set us straight on that thought. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And what does it say? Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The grace of God teaches us to live a certain way. So this is not an excuse for us to live whatever we want, but we have to have the right focus. We have to have the right mindset, or it will produce those feelings of guilt and insecurity and inadequacy and inferiority. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. And what did he say about us being called unto liberty? Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So see, it's important that, as we always say in hermeneutics, which is a study of the Bible, context and comparing Scripture with Scripture is very important because people have come up with all kinds of doctrines because they'll take one verse out of a, out of a passage and then run with it and use it for their, you know, their advantage in all of this. But So we talked about this idea of not being driven by performance-based acceptance, you know, thinking, worrying about who, who, who people think you are, because a lot of times that's very shallow, and we don't really have a relationship with the Lord. But we need to be worried about being accepted by God through salvation and then just living for God. So, uh, Jared, I'm done with that um, thing there. And we'll go ahead and put it up so that nobody is distracted from the weird things up there on the screen. All right. So we talked about being, abiding in Christ. We need to be that person that abides in Christ. And we talked about last week um, the person of the true vine. This is a really hard thing about having lessons that continue. You've got a really quick review and try to get to the actual meat of the message, and it's really hard because you want to go back through it all over again. And you can't, so this is the art of trying to review. Uh, the person of Jesus, the person of the vine, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus alone possesses life within himself. We can't allow the counterfeit vines of, Christ, of 
people today to drive us. Self, the vine of self, the vine of pride, the vine of the flesh. Uh, Many times people serve in the church for these reasons, and inevitably they begin to be a performance-based person where they're always trying to just you know, uh, feed the flesh, feed the self, feed the pride, and then they just, they end up giving up because they're tired of it. It just creates that, really, it just creates a, a burnout in your life because you're not in the vine like you should be. He alone is a true source of abundant, everlasting life. And then God is a gardener of the vineyard. We saw that in verse two and three. In other words, what the Bible says is he's the husbandman. Verse one, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. We talked about last week how as the husband and as the gardener, God is involved with protecting us. He protects us through prayer. Um, Are we praying like we should? He protects us through the word of God. Are we reading our Bibles like we should? He protects us through the God-ordained authority in our lives and specifically the local New Testament church and the pastor. And God many times uses those things to help us as we abide in Christ. While it is true that God and his word and prayer are most important, God uses the pastor. And we need to be careful to make sure that we allow God to do that. And then the second thing, so this is where we left off yesterday. Not only does, or not yesterday. See, I'm used to teaching in school. So yesterday would have been class. And no, it wouldn't have been because it's Saturday. But see, my brain's used to teaching. So it just automatically says things like that. So yesterday, well, actually it was last week. All right, so um, not only does the gardener provide protection but he also provides purifying. Look at verse, let's just read through these verses again. So John 15, did I tell you where to turn? I don't think I did. I got so caught up in turning on the screen and putting down the screen and, you know, my little cool animations coming in on the screen. And, you know, I'm sorry, I have to give you a little tidbit of information. I love doing that kind of stuff with PowerPoint. I'm sorry, it's just kind of that thing I enjoy doing. It's cool, you know, it's, you can make it spin and do all kinds of stuff. It's really, really fun. Um, but then you get distracted and you guys are all watching things spin around in circles. Um, all right, wow. And I'm rambling. See, Pastor, I need to stop. <laughs> all right, John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If, any man, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my works abide in, words abide in you, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So we see in verses two and three this idea of the uh, gardener. In verse one, it says it's the husbandman, and the verse two, every branch that beareth not in me, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. That it and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. The second thing that the 
that God does in our lives many times is not only protect us, but he purifies us. There's some different methods that he purifies. They have some connection to that of a vineyard and gardening. I'm not a green thumb at all, but I do um, know, you know, I've tried to keep my rose bushes doing what they're supposed to, but for some reason only one does, and the rest of them don't. I don't get why, but I try to do all these things. But God challenges the branches. In other words, it says he taketh away. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. That idea there, that phrase means to lift up or to raise higher. You know, when you're gardening, many times the, the plant itself, especially as it's young, will, will end up falling down into the soil and begin to not be able to be productive. And many times you have to lift that, that plant or whatever you're working with up out of the soil and get it to kind of, you know, sometimes even use things to keep it propped up so that it will begin to grow and to have a better chance of being productive. Well, God does the same thing in our lives. Many times he comes in and he begins to lift us up and to raise us unto higher things. And I ask you this morning, have you got unfruitful to the place in your Christian life where you're unfruitful and barren? The Lord may have to reach into your life, disturb your slumber, and lift you up in an effort to challenge you and to shock your growth. You know, Deuteronomy 32, 11 says, And as, or as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. If you look at the context there, it's the context of Israel. And if you were to, the idea there is that God many times has to come in and to get us, get us to, to go higher, you know, to flutter, to just stir up our nest. Maybe your nest is being stirred up today. And not always is this the case. Not always are you in sin, but many times we are in sin. And so God has to come into, a, into our lives and, cha- and chastise us. And if we respond with repentance instead of animosity, because a lot of times when we are told we're wrong, we don't always respond very well. We get mad. And a lot of times God uses the pastor to preach something that you don't really like. And, you know, he, it's not a, a fun job, by the way, to stand up there and have to preach something you know you're supposed to preach, but you know somebody's not going to like it. But that's part of it. And many times we respond in animosity. We get mad. Well, really, we're not getting mad at pastor. We're really getting mad at God because pastor's just the messenger that God is using to, to really stir up our lives many times. And again, we're not always in sin, but sometimes we just need to be woke up. But if we respond to it with animosity and resistance, it, it's going to end up leading us into sin, and we're going to begin to regret things that we do. The devil's going to have his foothold in our life, and that's not going to be good. So we have to be careful. We have to say, you know, I may not right away agree with what's being said, but let me think about it. I try to tell the teenagers all this all the time. You can find something good in, in everything that somebody says. They may say it for the wrong reason. They may be 100% wrong in the way they said it. But God could use it to wake you up. But you know what we normally do? Is if it isn't said right, if they say it with the wrong attitude, if they, they scowl at me while they're saying it, but they really don't know they're scowling at you, but they are, or you perceive they are, then they get mad. And it's like, well, first of all, now you're assuming I'm doing things I'm really not doing. But okay, that's fine. I'll just go along with this. 
But even then, there's been people that walk up to me and say it with the wrong reason, wrong reason, the wrong heart, and everything. And God smacks me upside the head and says, see, I used that person to wake you up because you're such a knucklehead that you can't listen to anybody else. I'm just, many times, God challenges us in many different specific, in, in specific ways in our lives. What is our reaction? What's our reaction to it? So he not only purges the, the, or challenges the branch, but in, in this idea of purifying, but he cleanses the branch. He prunes away. It says in the same verse, um, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring more, forth more fruit. So he cleanses us. That is, he removes or prunes the things that zap its vitality and its strength. You know, in gardening, there's these things called sucker branches. You know, the things that suck the, that's what I was, you know, read on the internet to do with my rose bushes. You're supposed to cut all the, the things off that are sucking the vitality and all the, the food away from the ones that do want to produce. So I tried that and it still did what it was going to do. But whatever. I said I wasn't a green thumb. But the idea here is that the idea of sucker branches or useless buds and misdirected shoots and all these things, getting rid of them. You know, if you look at a plant and you see that it's, you know, the leaf is a certain color, supposedly that means it's having a problem with something. And you're supposed to be able to, you know, figure that out and then take it off and try to figure out how to help it. Well, that's the way the Lord does. He knows what's zapping the vitality and the strength out of our life. He's the, you know, that what those things are is anything that consumes us. Paul said he would not be brought under the power of any. You know, there's certain, I said this already, but there's even good things in our life that will consume our life so much that it zaps the vitality and the strength out of our life and it keeps us being, from being used by God. And that one thing is service. You can serve so much and be doing it for all the wrong reasons, and it's zapping every bit of your vitality out of your life. Now, I'm not saying don't serve, but I'm just saying be careful that it was of the Lord that you did it, not because you wanted to be accepted or because you wanted the pastor to give you the accolades from the pulpit or you're, you want to be the one, which we don't have this in our church, but the one that has you know, the plaques that are out in churches sometimes and they have all the little nameplates. This person did this, and you know we should start that. Um, all right. Yes, yeah, servant of the month. And the picture's out there, you know. Just so I can get my picture up there, you know. And I can be on the presentation in the, in the morning when everybody's watching, you know. Um, but those are obviously the wrong reasons. But again, we might say, well, we're serving. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Yes, it is. But are you serving for the right reasons? And are you allowing it to consume your life so much that you don't even take time for the Lord? Because you can do that. You can be so busy that you have to be up at 5 o'clock in the morning trying to get ready for everything, and then you end up not reading your Bible. Or you don't read it well. You know, you read it, but it's just, okay, I'm done now. And it's not really, Lord, speak to me. Lord, change my heart. What do you, what do you, you're not being, in other words, you're not doing what Psalm said, and that is be still and know that I am God. You've got to slow down sometimes. <laughs> so that's, that's something he does. And God begins to cleanse not only our life in that way and getting things that zap our vitality and our strength and consume us, but then he uses God's word. Verse 3 says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. God uses a word like a mirror, it says in James 1, 23 and 24, For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But then it goes on to contrast that with someone who's 
allowing the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and allowing the Word of God to change them. And that's really the, the way we ought to be. And I'm thankful that all of you looked in the mirror this morning, even Todd. No, I'm just joking because I thought, you know what, he probably won't get too mad if I said his name in Sunday school. Hopefully not. I guess I should have asked him before I did it, but we'll see. I'll find out real fast. Um, I'm just joking, by the way. But I'm glad you all looked in the mirror this morning, okay? I'm glad you didn't just roll out of bed with your hair sticking all up in every which way and walking up in here and, you know, looking all crazy. But, you know, the truth is we many times go to God's Word and don't even allow it to change us. We just read it like, oh, yeah, that's words on the page. And then we don't allow God to change us. Are you just a hearer of the Word and not a doer? If you sit in church and you get convicted about something and then you go home and never change it, you're just hearing the Word of God. God's words to change, should change us. And then like a knife, God's Word cuts through our heart. It says in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and then of joints of morrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God knows your intents. An intent is a motive. God knows why you're doing things. And he'll use the word of God, I've experienced this, to say your intent, your motive is not right. It needs to change. You're not serving for the right reasons. And it cuts through the heart. A pastor can't do that, really. I mean, God can use a pastor to preach certain things, but he can't see your heart. He can't see your motives. Motives are something you really have to be careful with because... It may look a certain way, and it may not be that way. And it may look a certain way, and it may be that way. Because I've had that happen, too. I'm like, you know, I, in my mind, I'm going, I really think this is what's going on. But I thought, you know, I'm not going to judge your motives. I'm just going to let the word of God change. And then down the road, a little ways, I see, oh, yeah, that was. But it wouldn't have done any good if I said what I thought anyway. So give the word of God. And let the word of God do the work. Not you, you know, yelling at him until you're blue in the face. Because that's also not going to help either. It gets you mad. So we need to be, make sure we're in this vine, this, the person, the true vine. Then I need to quickly go into these. I'm making good time here. I planned out my time. I'm like, okay, if I, at this point, if I'm here, then I'll be good. Because I knew I had to get through this. Because Jared's supposed to, to preach the next two weeks. And if I don't, he might get very mad at me. And that's not good if Jared's mad at me. So I'm joking, by the way, okay? All right, so the person of the true vine, the second thing that we need to look at is the purpose of the true vine. Look at verses two through eight. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring more, forth more fruit. And then if you continue reading, if you, and you read into verse number 5, it says that um, if you abide in he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then verse 8, herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And so we see here the purpose of the, the true vine is to bear, it is to produce fruit. The vine exists for this purpose alone. Without fruit, the vine and all its efforts are wasted. And you know, even Jesus, when he was on this earth, his purpose was that exactly, to glorify his Father, to please his Father, to really bear fruit. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin, Hebrews 4 says. And so he was showing us an, an example of someone that was pleasing his Father, someone that was bearing fruit. So even his purpose was singular, and that was to bear fruit. God wants us to serve him and have fruit in our lives for his glory and honor. And one of the ways that we do bear fruit is through service. So service is a way of showing 
the bearing of our fruit. Not necessarily the only way, but it is. But in this passage, we see that we must be first connected to the person of the true vine before we can bear the fruit. Don't you see that? It says, he didn't start out saying you need to bear fruit. He started out saying, I'm the vine. You need to abide in me. If you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. If you abide in me, and he says it over and over again as if he's trying to make a point. He was trying to make a point. We need to abide in Christ. So we are to, the purpose of the true vine is to produce fruit. And then secondly, verse number eight, we see that, it, and I already kind of alluded to it, but verse eight, we see that it is, it is to give honor to God. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. You know, even in a vineyard, when, you, when fruit is yielded in a vineyard, the vine, the branches, the soil, and even the fruit does not get the credit. You know who gets the credit? The person that's in charge of the vine, the husbandman, the one that's the vineyard keeper, you know. They're the one that people come up to and say, well, that's great fruit, you know, or whatever. They don't say, well, wow, those branches are wonderful. I mean, they might, but really the honor goes to the person that's taking care of that, that vineyard. And that's the same way. This ought to be the burning, you know, everything that all the glory passes on to the gardener. All the glory passes on to Jesus, not to me. When my fruit is, is yielding, it's not so that I can be seen and polish up my fruit so it shines more so that everybody can see it better. No, it's for God's glory and honor. Everything he did, everything he does is to glorify his Father. This ought to be our desire, that every waking minute is to bring glory to God. You know, some of you guys work in the secular world. God can even get glory and honor through the way you work at, in that secular field that you're in. One of those ways is giving the gospel out. But even, even that, you say, well, I work in a secular job. But God can get glory and honor through that. God can use you to point others to him. That's really your purpose in life. So it doesn't just have to be right here in this local New Testament church. Now, it is true that ultimately and first and foremost are gifts the things that we can do should be done in the local New Testament church first and foremost. And I don't have time to go into spiritual gifts, but that's another interesting topic to go into. But God, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, where it talks about that, it talks about using them primarily for the church. But God can use you outside the church as well. You can be a witness. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even eating, that's interesting. I do a lot of that. Now, I don't always glorify God when I do that, but because I do it just to fill my, you know, my desire to eat more. But um, even then, even in eating, and you know, Baptists are really good with eating, so we need to really glorify God in that. The truth is, and in all seriousness, have you been taking the credit or giving it all to God? There's something wrong in our life when there's no desire to bring glory and honor to God who loves us and who sustains us and who cares for us. For without me, you can do nothing. It's not because we're something that we bear this fruit. It's because of God. So what are the qualifications of, being, of bearing fruit in our life? Well, we already went over them. We need to be attached to the vine. We need that union with Christ, and we won't go over this. But are you serving, I won't belabor this, but are you serving with no fellowship in Christ? And then the branch, what are the qualifications to bear fruit? Well, it's to abide in the vine, verses 4 and 5. 
You need close fellowship. You need to maintain close fellowship with the Lord. Be close to God. You know, we have a lot of things that need to be, have maintenance around here. And, you know, one of those things I think of is the broiler system downstairs. And Mr. Mack is always checking on that broiler system, making sure that it's running correctly. You know, it's getting older and older, so it has, needs more maintenance than it did. What's that? Yeah, it's like Mr. Mack. But, um, yeah, so he has to go down there and maintain it. He's always down there checking to make sure that certain things. And he's taught me. He's like, okay, you know, I go in there and during school when my wife's in the classroom trying to take care of all the kids. He's wanting to show me all this stuff, which is fine. I listen because, you know, I need to make sure I keep track of it too because sometimes it starts doing things it shouldn't. Well, that all, I'm using that illustration to apply it to our lives. We need to keep maintenance on our lives or it's going to break down. We might not break down right away. That boiler system might not go out like that. But if we don't take care of those things, eventually it's going to end up. Same thing with your car. If you never change oil in your car, you never maintenance your car, eventually something's going to happen. And it probably won't be very good. Um, so, and then the branch must be available. Verse 5 says, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. You know the best availability? You've heard this phrase before. The best, ab- the, sorry, the best ability is availability. I got myself mixed up there. The best ability is availability. It's not because of us. For without me ye can do nothing. So does this describe your life? And let me just, while I'm on this idea of fruit, because we're talking about, you know, the the idea of bearing fruit and it bringing honor and glory to God. You know, does it matter about our quality and our quantity of fruit? Well, the truth is it doesn't. Now, just bear with me for a second. The branch's responsibility is not to worry about the quantity and the quality of fruit. What is the branch's responsibility? to make sure we're abiding in the vine. But how many times do we get so caught up? Now, just bear with me for a second. So I'm not saying you shouldn't want to bear fruit. But what I'm saying is we get so caught up in how much fruit we're bearing and what kind of fruit we're bearing. And if we would just abide in Christ, all that gets taken care of. You know why we're worried about the quantity and the quality of fruit? It's the self thing. It's the pride thing. It's the performance-based acceptance thing. We want to be accepted, so we need to have a certain kind of fruit. And we need to have a certain kind. And churches have this problem, too. They always want to keep up with the other church. Pastors alluded to that many times. They have to do certain things. And independent fundamental Baptists have to do what every other independent fundamental Baptist does. No. The responsibility is to abide in Christ. And, you know, all that just gets taken care of when we abide in Christ. Now, there is truly a progression, as we see in this passage, of if we do abide in Christ, there will be a progression of bearing fruit. If you notice, it starts in verse 2 in the fact that it says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, so there's no fruit, starts out there, and there's a steady progression. If you continue, then it's more fruit, and then by the end of it, it's much fruit. So there will be a natural progression if you're abiding in Christ. But instead of focusing so much on what, we're, what kind of fruit and how much fruit we're bearing, we need to be focused, as I keep saying, on us abiding in Christ. And everything else just falls right into place. We don't have to worry about how much fruit we're bearing. Now, not every brute, sorry, not every, I almost got fruit and branch to, mixed up together. That would have an interesting word come out. Um, but every branch 
doesn't always bear fruit like it should. And what does verse 6 say? If a man abide not in me, notice that. If a, a man abide not in me, again, he's focusing on that. He is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So, you know, if you're not, you can still be attached to the vine, but you're not always taking from the vine the strength that you need. And what happens when you're attached and not taking the strength that you need from God? You begin to wither. Your life begins to get barren. We become stagnant. There's loss of fellowship. There's loss of vitality. They're withered. Have you ever been in those churches where just like there's no vitality? There's no life in them. I don't know. I don't know what their hearts are like, but maybe it's that they're not abiding in Christ like they should. So church, we're made up of people. And so really people, we have to stay attached to that vine because our church, we love our church and our, God's blessed our church. The hand of God is on our church, but God will not allow his hand of blessing to be on our church unless we're doing what honors him. And we can get to the place where we get all puffed up in pride and you know, and that pride and that self start creeping in. And all of a sudden that tree, if you will, the church begins to just wither away. Let's not do that. And it starts in our lives. And then there's even a loss of reward. First Corinthians 3 talks about how our works will be tried. And how whatever, we, whatever foundation that we built on, you know, Jesus Christ is the, the, really the foundation. But then we're to build on that. And so we're way out of time, but I knew this was going to happen. But I, I'm almost done. I'm on Roman rule three, so you got to listen really fast. Um, so if I speak, I've been speaking really fast up to this point, but I'm really going to start speaking fast. You got to really listen fast. All right. So the person of the true vine, the purpose of the true vine, and then thirdly, the promise of the true vine. If you were to read verses seven through eleven, you would see that there's some things that we get. We have an un, unhind, unhindered prayer life. Verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. In other words, we're so close to God that his will is our will. Amen. You want to be there? Man, it should be, ought to be that way. Every time and everything you pray for is going to fit into God's will because you're so close to him. You're abiding in him. And then an unending love, verse 9. As my Father hath loved me, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And an unending love. Jesus loves men always. But those who are abiding in him have entered into a special, ever-deepening ever relationship with him. And we can love other people that way as well. But it all starts with us abiding in Christ. And then verse 11, an uncommon joy. Verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Remember how I said at the beginning, those who are serving for the approval of others, what happens to them? Eventually, and even... If, even while they're just starting, their attitude, their, their activity never changes, but their attitude does. Their joy goes up and down. And they get resentful at other people because they're not doing what I think they should do. Their focus isn't right. They're basing their joy on what they're doing instead of who they are in Christ. And that's what happens. But when you're abiding in Christ, you're going to have uncommon joy. You're going to be full of joy. He said that in verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that, ye might, that, ye, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Joy is not happiness, which depends on experiences, but it's a deep, settled inner peace as we abide in Christ. It doesn't mean you're going to walk around going, 
all the time. I say that to the kids because they think that when I tell them they're supposed to be joyful that they're supposed to walk around with a smile on their face all day. No, because Mr. Brock doesn't always have a smile on his face. But I ought to have a deep, settled peace that God's in control if I'm abiding in Christ and I shouldn't get all ruffled and everything because of what's going on because I know God's in control. But that only happens as we abide in Christ. So, are you abiding in Christ? Is, is Christ your Lord? Do you identify with him as your Lord? Do you have a close, intimate relationship with God? Are you fully committed to him as the Lord of your life? Or are you trying to overcome the flesh by doing more works? Remember we talked about that last week. Or are you walking in the spirit? Are you abiding in Christ? We could really flesh this out for a long time because there's all kinds of other passages we go into about walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. But it all comes, this is really the, the root of it, abiding in Christ. Are you serving to be accepted or get approval? Or are you walking with Christ, right with him and in fellowship with him, and then your service will be the way it ought to be. It'll be result for that. There's a difference between your service and abiding in Christ. Our service to God is not my fellowship with Christ. It's a poor substitute. Your service is a poor substitute for fellowshipping with God. It is. But, you know, sometimes we, because the devil doesn't want us to fellowship with God and abide in him, he'll take that service and make it the substitute. But we're renewed by the inner man, in the inner man, by Christ, by fellowshipping with Christ. We're re, you know, when we read our Bibles, we, we pray. Those are works, but if they're done right, they're not just works. They're a relationship with Christ. But even Bible reading and prayer can become just a work, as I've already said. But it all goes back to this, really this root issue of abiding in Christ. So as I said earlier, before you can faithfully do, you must be. The reason to do is because you are not so that you can become. So hopefully this, this the last couple of weeks I've helped you and maybe just reminded you, I'm sure there are many Christians in this room that know all these things and I, I, I probably could say there are many that are abiding in Christ in here. But sometimes we just need a, a reminder because even the ones that are really close to God sometimes get out of line and hopefully they get back in line real fast. But maybe you're in here and you're just Serving for serving's sake. Well, let me warn you, you need to get into, in, in, you need to abide in Christ because eventually that arm of flesh is going to get real tired and it's going to fail you. And you're just going to give up and be like, I'm done with this thing. So let's pray. And I hope God can use us in your life. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And I pray that we would be abiding in you and that we would not be so caught up in service and uh, what we're doing for you necessarily, but that we would be caught up in our relationship with you so that then everything else will fall into place. Lord, I've done my best to show this thought these last couple weeks, and I ask now that you would take your word, that you do only what you can do, and that is work in hearts and apply it to hearts. We love you and thank you. We ask you to just help us as we continue through this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.